Welcome to the Life Well-Lived Podcast. I'm Kayla Brandon, a holistic health coach and wellness enthusiast. I am absolutely obsessed with learning about people who live their most authentic lives. In this podcast, you'll hear stories about those who truly live a life well-lived and what they do mentally, spiritually, and physically to get there. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump into your daily dose of practical advice on pursuing a life with purpose and passion. This week I interviewed Ashley Jones, a trauma-informed coach, intuitive guide, and Reiki practitioner. Ashley's known for her unique holistic approach that merges modern understandings of the mind and body with ancient practices that remember the power of the self and the soul. In this episode, we discuss her background in neuroscience and how she applies that to her coaching, what Reiki is and how it can help you, her best advice for those looking for true healing in their lives, the beauty of finding your yellow and having conversations that are outside your comfort zone, and so much more. Without further ado, let's get into it. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You are a very interesting person, my friend. I am like just chomping at the bit to talk about your background and your story. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive in, you know, who you are, what you do, and kind of how you got here today. So I am a trauma-informed intuitive guide, coach, Reiki practitioner, and tarot reader. I live here – you guess you can't see me, but I'm here in Denver. Um, and I think it's interesting – People ask me all the time, like, how did I get to where I am? And my background's in neuroscience. So that's what I studied in school. And I always thought that I'd go be a therapist, become a psychiatrist. And I did not want to take organic chemistry in college. I was like, that sounds like absolute. I don't want to like hate myself for a whole semester of my life. So I took poetry instead and didn't want to go the medical route and found myself over that time really discovering what I like to think the missing link to what I was studying within neuroscience and trying to understand why we are the way we are and how we become the happiest version of ourselves. So I grew up in California. Um, I am from the Silicon Valley, the Bay Area. Uh, my mom is a nurse. She was always kind of like secretly into this kind of stuff. So when I had, I played soccer growing up and when I had my first concussion, she took me to an energy healer. And I remember feeling this woman literally put my skull back into place and being like, this is so cool. What just happened? Like, you know, 15 year old me and asking the woman about spirit animals and wanting to learn more because this is so cool. And then just getting more and more into it. And then I had a moment where it felt really intense and a lot was going on within my childhood. There was like my childhood was a lot. I have two sisters who have disabilities. My mom had cancer when I was nine. So there was just always a lot of emotion. And I was always a very big feeler trying to navigate a really intense world. Um, and so when I went to school in upstate New York, I was trying to figure out like what do, what do I like? What am I interested in? Found myself moving into the neuroscience path and was having a very hard time socially, had really lost myself, had decided as I was going to college that maybe I would be more liked. Maybe people would love me more if I changed who I was. Turns out that is not how that works. It just led me down to this really big awakening um, that I went through my junior year. That really led me back on this journey about how do I come back home to myself? How do I like myself? How do I figure out how to live a life that I enjoy? Um, and it's interesting because I a lot of the times I feel like I tripped into spiritual work and I tripped into intuitive work. And if you'd asked me, I don't know, let's say 10 years ago, if I thought this is what I'd be doing with my life, I would have laughed and been like, what are you talking about? 
And then a secretly underneath, I would have been like, seriously, this is what I get to do for a living. This is who I get to be. Um, which I think is kind of crazy. Like there's always, I think for all of us, like this little thread underneath of like, who do we want to be or our secret dreams or our secret hopes. So then I found, you know, there was a lot that happened in between, but it all felt very serendipitous. And then I finally found my way back to Colorado, which has always been a place that felt like home to me. Um, and was less of a when or if I'm moving and when other than a, when am I moving? When am I coming here? When am I coming back home? Wow. So you, I mean, you've experienced various parts of the country. So yes. grew up on the West Coast, went to school on the East Coast. Now you're in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, just from a personal perspective, like how did how have you navigated all of those, I would say like cultural and lifestyle shifts? Mm-hmm. Because I do think there are different cultures on different coasts, mm-hmm. as we were talked about before we started recording. And especially in, in Denver as specifically, I feel like that in and of itself in and of itself has a very unique kind of vibe and culture. Like mm-hmm. I've been there once and it it definitely has like a different energy. I like to joke that they should really brand themselves as the Wild West because it just feels wild here. There's like a lot going on. My pa- Both of my parents too are from Kansas. So I spent a ton of time growing up in like really the Midwest in like Topeka, Kansas and suburbs of Kansas City. Um, you know, I think that living in New York when I, I lived in New York City after college for nine months before COVID hit and it was a lot. I think for any type of like emotional or sensitive person, being around that many people, around that much stimulation constantly was really intense. And it was really interesting for me going to school in New York, being from a very liberal place in California. And remember walking into my classroom the first day and everyone being like, this is so liberal. Everyone's so open-minded. And I was like, this is so different for me. But can I tell you, I've always really wanted to be around people who think different, who have different perspectives, because I think that's how I grow and how I'm able to learn more about myself and really understand different parts of the world. I lived in London for six months, which was also a whole different experience. Like I am very much someone who is fascinated by information and is fascinated by different perspectives and the way in which other people offer us information that we can then learn more about ourselves. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting that in this world we live in today, people kind of, you know, fit into different silos where they just only hang out with people who agree with them or have share the same beliefs or you know, whatever the case might be. And I think that that's a really comfortable place to be, but it's also not a place where you grow. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying purposely look for people who disagree with you and hang out with them, Mm -hmm. but I would say like just be open to being around people Mm -hmm. and hearing their perspective without judgment, just taking it for what it is, respecting them for having their opinion and their cultural beliefs and like being on your way. Maybe you learn something. Maybe you don't take anything from the conversation, but at least you allowed it to happen. Mm -hmm. That is – where I think we should get to in society and we're mm-hmm. so close-minded lately just mm-hmm. from politics to different cultural beliefs. I mean, I just could go on a tangent about that. It's just like you said, you're not going to mm-hmm. you're not going to grow if you're just hanging out with the people that you know and that agree with you. Yeah, and I went to a workshop right when I first moved to Denver and the facilitator used this metaphor of finding your yellow zone. So if you're the green zone is like my comfort zone around my people and your red zone is like, this is going to be triggering. This is actually be traumatic. Like this is someone who's not good for me. This is someone who like, you know, whether it's abuse or toxicity, like this is an unhealthy situation. How can you find that yellow zone, that middle zone of this is where, this is my growth zone. This is how I put myself a little bit out of my comfort zone 
in a safe way around safe people to learn more about myself. And to what you're saying, I think what's really interesting about the work that I do and then part of what I've really been processing through in my own life recently is this idea that there's no right and wrong, like this universal right and wrong. Yes, there are like moral ethics of like do not kill people, do not steal. Like there are like baseline like human like don't do these things. Otherwise, we hit anarchy, which would be not great for our society. Um, but when it comes to making decisions about your life, just what do what do I want to do? What should I do? I think that there's often this concept that like this is what I have to do. This is what makes me a good person. This is what is going to bring me success versus redefining these things of like, no, what do I, what is, what do I want to do? Like what, when I think about it and I feel that feeling in my heart, like what sparks that joy? What lights me up? What is the thing that feels so like me? And then how can I start to take baby steps towards getting there? And, you know, I think there's a lot of tools that we can use to do that, but that's not like, you know, the flashy, like do this to make 8,000, you know, 10 grand months, do this to like have the million dollar mansion, do this to have the boyfriend that like soulmate. And there isn't a one size fits all situation. And that's where I think everything that I started to learn in neuro and then everything I now know as I move into more of this wellness and spiritual and intuitive space is that this is a path of self-discovery being human and this is an opportunity for us to find common ground and realizing we actually have more similarities than we think and if we can move out of these like big concepts of like what we should do and who should we should be and like into this group think that kind of happens sometimes which is again the most human biological neurological thing that we do literally scientifically but if we can start to question some of that and put ourselves into that yellow zone, that comfort zone. How does that then invite, like you said, like how does that actually like bring us together versus pulling us apart as a nation, as a world that like, you know, it's like science or spiritual, like left or right, like these big black and white groups that we've created. How can we start to, you know, work with our bodies, work with our brains, work with our biology to actually create a world that we want to live in? Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think the thing that you mentioned that I love is, you know, finding that yellow space where, again, you're not in a position where you're going to do emotional harm to yourself by being mm-hmm. in that situation to talk mm-hmm. to those types of people who maybe trigger you. Mm-hmm. Um, but to find the common ground where you know that you're probably not going to leave the conversation with your morals or your values changed, Mm -hmm. but you could appreciate someone else's perspective Mm -hmm. and maybe just understand your neighbor more. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to change your mind. I always tell people that. Like, you don't have to go into a conversation and say, I want this person to convince Mm -hmm. me that they are right and I'm wrong. That's Mm -hmm. not the case. Really, it's Mm -hmm. just, why don't we allow space for everyone to have a conversation and we walk away having mutual respect for their perspectives. Doesn't mean you have to compromise your values and change your your whole life system, right? Of like of which it's built upon. It just means that we need to have that space where we can have those conversations so we can hear what they have to say. Cuz there's no there's no talking lately. And I think the more that we do that, we'll realize that there's more commonality between us. Once we like, you know, I think vulnerability is really hard in the world. I was literally thought about this yesterday. I was actually, I was in a massage actually, it was this morning. 
and had it come to me where I was like, vulnerability is one of the bravest things we can do as humans. To be open, to be vulnerable, to be ourselves in a world that tells us it's not safe to be that version of us when we've been told throughout our lives, like you, who you are is wrong. Like shame is such a toxic emotion and puts us into like, I am a bad person versus like, there are things that I've done that I'd like to shift. We have to get into that place of like, no, like I am a whole person. I am a worthy person. I am a lovable person. Like really start to work into those affirmations of like, no, like who am I? What do I know to be true about myself? And from that place, how can I then shift? Something that I um, say to clients a lot is that I like to think of compassion as empathy with boundaries. So rather than like being like, I have to fix you or I have to go and like, I can understand you. That doesn't mean I have to change it right? Like I can protect myself while also holding space for you. I can hold space for both of us. Like I can understand what you're coming from and have compassion for that and also not put myself at risk, not, you know, like you said, compromise your values, compromise what's going on. And I think for anyone that's listening who's part of the triple P P club, the people pleasing perfectionists or recovering people pleasing perfectionists as my friend likes to call them. um, It can be really hard when we're thinking about like, well, I understand what they're going through. And now I'm like, well, that does that feel like it excuses it? And that's where I'm like, okay, but like have compassion, right? Like you can say like, I understand, but I still am going to love myself. Like I can understand what they're going through, have that empathy, and then also hold my own boundary of, no, we need to actually step up. We actually need to shift. I know that takes us in an interesting direction, but I think that that's so important to think about, you know? It absolutely is. And I'm, I'm a huge believer of boundaries and mm-hmm. and setting those early and often in any relationship that you have. So mm-hmm. um, I just want to just <laughs> rewind a little bit because I know we went <laughs> on a tangent, but I just – I feel like when we when we talk, we could just – like the flow of the conversation goes so naturally that I could mm. talk to you about pretty much anything. <laughs> um, so I want to talk more about what exactly you do. So you talked about being a trauma-informed coach, mm-hmm. an intuitive guide, and a Reiki pr- practitioner. So mm-hmm. those are many, many different hats. So can we break yes. those down for the audience um, just in case they're not aware of what, you know, any one of these roles does mm-hmm. or just maybe all of them? Because they are, they're they are I would say, fairly new titles yes. for modern-day society. Not yes. – I'm sure they've been around for a long time, but they just haven't been at the forefront, I don't think, in the wellness industry. No, of course. So I'll start with trauma-informed. So being trauma-informed, which I think really any healer or practitioner is going to be, just means that like you're aware that everyone in some way has either big T trauma, little T trauma, has been through experiences that have really affected them. So whenever you approach a conversation, you're holding room and space for that. When I work with clients, we don't dive into it. We don't go back. Like You get to basically guide the conversation and whether or not you want to talk about it. And we hold space for it. And a lot of the trauma-informed part really blends well with my neuroscience background. So we do a lot of nervous system regulation. If you feel triggered, if things come up, if there's something that gets activated, there's a way to create a space where you can feel safe. So we do a lot of how do you feel? How can you make yourself feel safe in your body? How can we talk about you know, breathing techniques or different things to when our body gets triggered or our brain gets triggered and feels like there's a threat, there's a certain pathway in our in our body um, that gets activated called the sympathetic nervous system, uh, which is typically, as you might know it, fight or flight. And when that happens, our big thinking brain, that's our prefrontal cortex, goes offline 
and our limbic system, which is our primitive, very primal, very protective part of our brain gets switched on. So you can't make, you know, you can't switch the way you think. Like you're like, this is not the time. Like I can actually think rationally or I can think my way through it. Like that part of my brain is literally offline. So when I do work with clients, it's really how can you hold space for the fact that something might come up and how can we bring you into a place where you feel safe? So that's the trauma-informed part of it. Um, coach. What is a coach? So coaches work with where you are and where you want to be. The reason why I bring the word guide in is I've always resonated more with it, where it's more of a collaborative experience where I'm not telling you what to do. You're telling me where you want to go, and I'm asking really interesting questions to guide you there of like, what does this sound like? You're saying this. How do you want to get there? Where do you want to go? And I think why I love this work so much is that it really brings people, myself included, from where I am to where I want to be. And then looking at like, what am I thinking? What is going on right now? And what's preventing me from living out the life that I want? You know, how how can I be happy? And then you really dig into it and then you get answers. So therapists, and this is going to oversimplify this, but what's different between a coach and a therapist is that coaches work present forward. And if the past comes in, we hold space for it. And then we're like, okay, now how do we move forward from this? Therapists are going to go look back into the past and be like, how can we understand, unweave how, how your past is impacting your present? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I'm hearing more often that people – I mean, therapy is incredibly valuable and so important for a lot of reasons. But I'm hearing from a lot lot more people at least that they're kind of foregoing therapy and working with coaches because Mm – they want to focus on the future and they've mm-hmm. already – you can only rehash the past so much. Mm-hmm. So I do think there's a space and a time for both and both are very important and valuable. But I, I have been hearing more that people would just prefer to be more future-focused. Um, and when you work with clients, you do use, you know, like Eastern and Western practices. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're focused on the neuroscience of it all, mm-hmm. but you're also very holistic. So do you have um, any like tools in your toolbox that you help – you know, give clients or help them uncover Mm -hmm. so that they can carry with them whatever you guys work on in your sessions into their lives, Mm -hmm. you know, moving forward? Well, typically, I think what's really interesting about what I do with specific clients is that a lot of it, I'm going to use the word channeled. What that means is I, so the intuitive tarot spiritual part of that I know that these words can be kind of big and esoteric and I even have a hard time describing them sometimes because it does feel so floaty. You know, there's a moment with, I think anyone can resonate, whether you're an artist, whether you've ever done a sport, whether you write of a flow state that we can get in where we start do saying, I'm like, I don't know where this came from. I had this feeling. I had this thought that popped in that was really profound. Like when you're really connected to yourself, that to me is what channeling is. You're, you're allowing something if you have any spiritual beliefs, whatever it is to flow through you, I like to really think of it as like our body is the vessel. So it's like, oh, this realization I'm having by connecting was able to literally think about yourself as a channel. It's flowing through me. So when I work with clients, a lot of what we talk about is really personalized. Um, some of the main tools I offer, journaling, like super helpful. There is some research I did in college too around the helpfulness of writing something down as a way of processing and the way it actually externalizing your thoughts, externalizing your emotions 
is one of the most helpful things we can do where we can put it on paper. We can leave it. Like I said it, it's out. I let my, I was able to speak my truth. I was able to put it out there and leave it down. Another thing I talk about, it's a really easy way to start if you're feeling really anxious or you're feeling like it's really hard to go outside or feeling like there's just like, especially post COVID, I feel like all of our social anxiety is now like through the roof of all of that. Um, it's called a four, seven, eight breath. So inhale for four, hold your breath for seven and then exhale out for eight and then repeat four times. And it literally is tapping into your body's nervous system of I'm safe. Movement is another huge one, moving your body in any way that feels right and intuitive, walks, stretching, whether you enjoy hit, whether you enjoy those big things, really allowing it to be like, what do I like? Um, yeah. And then meditation. But I think, you know, there's a lot of people who are going to say like, you need to do all these things every day. Pick one that feels good to you and just start there. Because it's complicated. Yeah. Huge fan of starting small in, on this podcast. If you've been a longtime listener, you'll know that I am not big on like extensive routines, skincare, morning routines, evening routines. It's not because I don't applaud people who do those things. Mm-hmm. I just am a mom, working mom too. I don't have time. Mm-hmm. Like I straight up do not have the time. But I do think you can live a very healthy mm-hmm. whole life and a life well lived just by doing little things every single day. Like five – like you could journal. Journal for five minutes. I mean I would – I'm sure you would recommend longer to really like give – allow you space to get out all your thoughts. But if you have five minutes, instead of scrolling Instagram or TikTok, write down your thoughts or meditate. And it could be on your notes app on your phone. Like I want to be very clear. I'm going to pop this bubble. Like I don't meditate every day. I don't like – I pick and choose. Some mornings I wake up and I'm feeling really irritated. I'm like, okay, I need to work out. I need to journal. I'll have my lemon water. Other days I get up and I just go – like I'm – sometimes I get on my phone. I've been really trying to be better about not doing that. But like this idea of like perfection, of like if I'm not having the two-hour morning routine, it's not doable for everyone. It's not manageable. So it's like what can I pick? Something that I really love that we talk about in coaching is SMART goals, specific measurable, attainable, reasonable, and time-bound. Like, can I do this? What am I doing? For how long am I doing it? And making it so like maybe, you know, five minutes. I can make five minutes in my day. I can't make 30 minutes right now. But if I start with five, you're literally creating a reward pathway in your brain of like success. I did it. I did the thing. And then it reaffirms this idea of like, I can do this. And then you can build from there. But like start, like you said, start small, baby steps. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge fan of baby steps too. Just do what you can and it you will eventually develop the habits that lead to a healthy, happy life. Mm-hmm. But no one, even like, you know, presidents, prime ministers, mm-hmm. you know, celebrities, athletes, like I w- you would be hard pressed to find someone that like has abundant, you know, more than 24 hours in a day. They mm-hmm. no, no one has more than 24 hours. We all have to use what we have mm-hmm. and time is the only um, – you know, resource that we don't get back. So use it, use it wisely, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and invest in coaches like you who also practice different things. So mm-hmm. you mentioned trauma and you mentioned coaching and Reiki is the last yes. part. And I would love, love, love for you to explain it because I know our shared mutual friend, Alexa, yes. and she connected us. And what I loved when she explained Reiki was she made it so understandable and mm-hmm. digestible for the audience. So I would love if you could try to do it that too, just in case we have some new listeners yes. um, and just introduce them to what it really is. So Reiki is a Japanese form of energy healing. Uh, it was 
created, codified in the early 1900s. Uh, it's pretty mysterious how it came down. And I think what's interesting about Reiki to me is if you go to look at these Eastern texts about it, they call it this mysterious energy that flows through you. It's going to be a bad translation. But they basically talk about the fact that it's unknown. And I think some t- part of why Western medicine looks at Reiki, and they've, there have been studies, they're doing studies, Harvard's very curious about it, is that it's not necessarily quantifiable. Like we can't necessarily measure it in the same way. Because as a Reiki practitioner, what we do is we channel Reiki energy through our bodies, through the palms of our hands, into your body to help stabilize and bring it back into a place of balance. So it's really that simple, right? You're able – my grandma likes to call it an energetic massage, which I think really brings it back down. My grandma, my Topeka, Kansas grandma who loves Reiki is like, what is this? It's an energetic massage. Reiki, what it does is it helps us gain access to our body. So when we have any powerful emotion, like I was talking about earlier with the elevated body's response, the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight that gets activated, we're moving into a I'm storing right? We're not digesting our food, which is when we're in calm, which is rest and digest, this parasympathetic nervous system. So we're storing everything because we're in a place that we need to move. So when we have any type of experience, our brain releases different types of chemicals into our body. We store it there, the energy that we're feeling. And so what Reiki provides is a place to come back to a place of center and release all those feelings, release all that energy, release all the memories that were stored in the body when you had that experience. And one of my favorite Neurofacts is that 80% of the signals that our brain gets are from the body. The other 20% are from the brain itself. So there's 80% of what we're experiencing is coming in our body. So if we're not working with the body, if we're not tapping into the body's ability to feel safe and then allowing it to release, whether it's through yoga or Reiki, breath work, any of these different modalities that works for you, we're just keep holding on to it. And then we keep replaying the same thing over and over and over again. So when I have clients, like sometimes they'll see pretty colors. Sometimes they'll feel things. I have clients that giggle. I have clients that just feel really relaxed. Some people are just like, this is kind of nice. Or if you've ever done yoga, it can feel like Shavasana where you just kind of go into this like very chill state. Um, But Reiki itself is just really allowing this energy to move so that you can come back to baseline and feel more like yourself. I appreciate the fact that you clarified and made it sound like very approachable. Like I, I really appreciate what your your grandma called it, the like an energy massage because really that's what it is. And mm-hmm. so do you find that people are typically a little nervous when they first try Reiki for the first time? Are they – do they think, you know, do they have preconceived notions? Because I feel like people might. Yeah, I think they do. And, you know, people typically find me, they're interested and want to come. I find more of like, what do you do? What is Reiki? When I'm telling people in my normal day-to-day life what I do for a living, Um, which I think is totally normal. You know, I had The Bachelor had a Reiki practitioner on it a couple seasons ago and the woman walked in and all these bells and whistles. And I was like, oh my God, this is like in Japan, it's considered a very medical, very like, you know, classic. It's kind of like acupuncture. Like it's very much like systematic. It's not, doesn't have all these bells and whistles. And sometimes, yes, it comes through for different practitioners. And I know I blend in music and I will sing during sessions and I use my vocal cords and like it just, I blend it all together. But at the very base of Reiki, it's just how can I feel good and calm and how can I release any stuck emotion? So I do think that there is like 
with all of the media and everything that we know about spirituality and the fear that it's witchcraft and it's voodoo and it's these scary things, which in my opinion, both of those things have a lot of misconceptions about it. And to move back into what we were talking about, like people's misconceptions that create this all or nothing perspective, that's kind of what's happened around these different spiritual practices where each spiritual practitioner, each, you know, I don't even want to call it spiritual. Each of these wellness practitioners are using different tools that are Actually, this is one of my favorite facts. I'm going to get real nerd out right now. My teacher who lives in Boulder, Colorado is a Tibetan Buddhist. And her theory, which I actually believe, is that Reiki spins back in Tibetan Buddhism, which is thousands of years old. It stretches back thousands of years. And how I've rationalized this and started to understand, okay, like humans are – we're smart creatures. We're all about survival. Why would these practices still be around if they didn't work? If it didn't work, no one would go, Right. Like, yeah, there's something people get out of it. I totally agree. And and you mentioned Buddhism and then you mentioned Japan using mm-hmm. this. I just think in America, which is where we both live, mm-hmm. for the listeners who are um, – who don't live in the United States, it's very – it's just very medical. Everything is 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 kind of like sterile and it's it's very science-based, which is great, especially mm-hmm. in certain situations. Like that is what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, for things like cancer diagnosis and, mm-hmm. you know, c- curing different, you know, potentially incurable diseases, but with the, you know, with modern medicine, it's made possible. So I don't want to discredit modern medicine and science and and our medical field in the U.S., but I appreciate the um, practices of Eastern medicine mm-hmm. because they are so much more healing, mm-hmm. which is really the emphasis of of Eastern medicine. Whereas Mm -hmm. I I think Western, it's finding a cure for that specific Mm -hmm. diagnosis. And Eastern to me appears to be healing the whole person. Mm -hmm. Like it's focusing on your whole body, your whole mind, your whole spirit versus healing that one or solving that one particular problem that you Mm -hmm. came in for today. And maybe it comes back and maybe it doesn't. If I'm in a like car accident and I've broken my leg, like take me to the hospital. Absolutely. Like give me, like, I don't want to be in pain. Give me the painkillers. Like, I think that that's somewhere where it feels like all or nothing. Mm -hmm. Something that if I may offer a reframe, like I like to think of as modern medicine and ancient medicine, because all around the world, if you look at any type of indigenous culture, um, whether it's, you know, the Celtic people or the Norse people or, or it's, you know, Africa or it's, you know, the people in the Native Americans, like these shamanic practices that live throughout the world all have this basis. And we have these incredible tools now to be able to go in through science to be like, okay, we can measure these things. What I think is interesting, there's a book that I love called Extraordinary Knowing. It's written by a clinical psychologist out of Berkeley who had a really wild spiritual experience and was like, there must be something to this. She goes in and interviews doctors and neurosurgeons and nurses and all these different realms to talk about these extraordinary experiences or extraordinary knowings people have. And if you talk to any doctor, they always say to go with your hunch. I have a friend who worked in the ER and she's like, I just had this feeling I had to go to this patient's room. And the minute she got there, they coded. Like there is, there are these hunches that all of us have that I think some of these more esoteric terms like intuitive, you know, gut feeling channeled can really bring us away from this fact that it is just a human language. Like, you know, if someone cries on TV, we typically feel it. These different empathy, the way that we feel each other, the way that we just have this like knowing 
that's coming up that actually spreads throughout it. And I think what's really beautiful now is that they're starting to weave and blend together. Um, There are different uh, offerings at the local hospitals here in Denver for cancer patients to get Reiki. My teacher is teaching at the Boulder Community Hospital in Boulder. Like there is this bridging that happens of knowing like we have to do both. Like, and it is both. And there has to be a dialogue between both modern and ancient practices for us really to create this, like you're saying, more beautiful, more holistic, more whole human experience. Oh, 100%. And I love the reframe that you had. And I appreciate you sharing because that's, that is a perfect example. If I was closed-minded, I would say I would, I'd be put off. I'd be like, mm-hmm. you know, that's just how I view it. Those are my term. That's my terminology. Mm-hmm. Yours is yours. But mm-hmm. no, I'm, I'm receiving it. Mm-hmm. I understand why. And I appreciate your perspective. And now I'm going to use it moving forward because it's aligned with what I believe it to mm-hmm. be too. So th- I just want to give the audience like that's a great example right here in this conversation where mm-hmm. you can have an open dialogue with someone and learn something, take something away and be better for it. So um, – and not necessarily that we disagree on anything, but mm-hmm. it's just even if you agree with people, you can still learn something new. So um, so I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the healing aspect, there's a lot of um, people that are looking for healing, especially mm-hmm. I think COVID just kind of open Mm -hmm. Pandora's box. Like people are really on this soul searching journey of trying to discover parts of themselves that need fixing or healing Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they found that during COVID, like those parts really showed Mm -hmm. up in their lives Mm -hmm. more so than before. Or maybe they just slowed down long enough to to really see what Mm -hmm. was going on with themselves. So Mm -hmm. if someone's looking for healing, what advice do you have for them um, as a coach? I mean, there's a couple of things to say, and there's something when I was um, reflecting on this word healing, I've been doing it a lot with other colleagues in the space and friends. I don't like the way we talk about the word because I think it talks about the fact that we think we're broken, like there's something wrong with us. There isn't. Like we're humans, like being a human is kind of a traumatic experience. You just kind of get shot through the ringer. And that to me is what's beautiful about being human is it offers us opportunities for growth and there's a Japanese art form called kintsugi. That's one of my favorite metaphors to use with clients where they take pottery, they break it, and they put it back together with gold. And it's considered to be more valuable once it's been put back together. And I think that there is this concept that like, you know, with healing, I'm trying to fix myself. I'm trying to better myself. I think there is to me, again, another reframe of like, how do we see this as actually allowing myself to become more myself? How can I find that? And so to that extent, I would find someone that you resonate with. I would find a gentle place to start. I would look to someone you feel like is maybe less bells and whistles, but is talking about something that you resonate with that makes you feel safe. You know, they're not going to have these big giant promises, which I think is not, you know, necessarily the best marketing tool or sales tool to be like, I can fix your life. Like you fix your life. You bring yourself back together. You find healing and freedom in your life. And that's going to shift in each different mode of your life. But the more that you can find a place to feel safe and to feel at home and to feel like you can discover who you are and give yourself place to be in a constant state of transformation and coming home to yourself and becoming more and more authentic. You know, I don't, healing never ends. I work, I've worked with clients earliest age. I think she was six years old, like 14. And my oldest client is 81. 
like a huge age range. Like these things don't, I think there's an idea to go back to this perfectionism of like, oh, I'm going to become healed and then everything's going to be fine. But I think then that creates this expectation that like life is not going to happen. Like there's a really beautiful metaphor that talks about healing, like peeling an onion. You're always going to have a new layer and there's always going to be something else. So how do you do it in a way that's actually sustainable and creates a life that you want? And so to that point, like find someone that feels like it resonates with what you've been through. Find someone that you feel like you can trust. Find a place that you feel like is safe and know that there's no rush either. There's always a new opportunity every day for you to be able to say like, what one thing can I do today that makes me feel more free and makes me feel more connected to my own truth and the truth I want for my life? That's really beautiful. I appreciate you sharing that it's lifelong, that healing Mm -hmm. isn't just going to therapy for six months, getting over your quote unquote problem and then never going back or never working on yourself or never being introspective Mm -hmm. ever again. So thank you for saying that. And for those who are interested in kind of learning from you, what does your wellness toolbox look like? Like how do you take care of yourself? How do you ensure that you are healing almost like on a daily basis, like having Mm -hmm. a daily renewal of Mm -hmm your soul because really at the end of the day, that's what we're all healing, right? Like we can heal physical things with a physical therapist or a doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes to like the spirit and the soul, I do think that work is so much more – it's so much deeper and Mm -hmm. it it takes more time and consideration than people think. I think what's – I've fully candidly have been going through it the last couple of months and had my heart broken and just was really, really frustrated and I have a really – not great pattern of self-abandoning, which I am continuing to heal. Um, And something that I've realized that I'm doing for myself is every day I want to be more me. How can I love myself more? A lot of it is shifting the narrative and talking back to negative self-talk. I put post-it notes all over my mirrors in my apartment. So I see these things. So I start to believe it. So I can start to question these thought processes. I I really committed to trying to work out for 30 minutes every day or move my body in some way because that helps me connect in a way where, again, with given everything that I had been through as a kid and in my you know early 20s and late teens, I'm very quick to dissociate and to be like, I don't want to feel this. And so part of it too is like, how can I create a space where I can feel myself? And so that way to me, like healing again is also like, how can I feel most like me every day? And how can I be on this journey of self-discovery and realize like, there's always a new version of ourselves we're going to meet. And I think that's one of the most wonderful things to realize is like our entire lives, we get to be discovering new things about ourselves, given things that we get to experience in our lives. And there is constantly going to be this discovery of we're changing but we have these core values that I get to then live out. So I meditate, I journal, I go on walks, I talk to friends. This morning I got this really beautiful, energetic, intuitive massage, this actual massage, not Reiki massage. Um, I'll get, you know, I think that it, I'm still discovering new things too. You know, like I think sometimes people are like, have you heard of this thing? And I'm like, no, but I want to check it out. Like, let me be excited about it. And I think even like traveling can be so intuitive. I think it's just like, how can I do something new to get to know myself better every day? Does that, does yeah, that answer your question? Uh, totally. And and then some. Yeah, you definitely – I feel like it, just in hearing all your answers, I feel like you you know yourself 
pretty well. And I think that in order to be a good coach, you do have to Mm -hmm. not only know yourself, but you have to continually work on yourself. Mm -hmm. And maybe work is probably the wrong word. Maybe what I'm trying to say is invest. Mm -hmm. Like you do need to carve out the time Mm because I do think coaches or therapists or people in that service industry, like social workers too, I find, and teachers and and nurses and doctors, law enforcement, like all these different people that pour into Mm -hmm. others Mm -hmm. in many, many different ways. I find that those are the people that traditionally like invest in themselves the least because mm-hmm. they're just they're just tired. They've given so much. So I and really we appreciate to. we have yeah. to. And I guess that goes back to what you were saying earlier of like another quality I'd recommend if you're looking for someone to work with, whatever that is, whoever you're working with, to make sure they're doing the work themselves. Because we are all human. We are all human. We are all in a human body. We all have our own perspectives and our own lenses that we bring to this work. So the more that you work with someone who's really holding space for the self, the more that they can actually hold space for you. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, if people want to work with you in one way or the other, what are your offerings and where can they find you? So I have three different offerings that are both in-person and virtual right now. Um, I work with clients in person here in Denver, Colorado. And then I have uh, virtual offerings for anyone all over the world. Um, I My first offering that I have is my favorite. It's called The Cocoon. It's a three-month intuitive dis- self-discovery program and healing experience where you get to come home to yourself. I blend in a lot of different practices. It really touches on the mind, the body, and the spirit. So body being energy work, really s- connecting in that way, different movements. Sometimes we'll do like heart-opening exercises where you move your arms. You'll hold yourself. You'll feel different parts of yourself or something stuck. The mind being, we'll do meditation, guided meditations where you can start to envision and see new things. And then the spirit part is I really do bring in some of the more spiritual aspects. So spirit guides and connecting into you as the access point for your this information. Um, so that's the cocoon. I love it. It's my favorite thing. It totally blends all of it together um, in a really beautiful way. The transformation another one of my sessions. It's one part intuitive reading and one part Reiki healing. So intuitive reading, I sit down and meditate before we connect and read your different chakras, which are just different energy centers on the body that come from the Hindu traditions of the energy system. I'll pull tarot cards. It ends up being a really beautiful dialogue to help you bring you back home to yourself in any way that you want to and answer any questions you might have about how you can have a life that you want to have. Um, and then the second part is the Reiki part to help integrate that information where I was doing a lot of readings for a really long time and just felt like I was sending people out into the world and then was like giving them action items to help integrate it. I was like, I should just merge these two together. Um, and then the healing, which is a Reiki and energy work experience where we do meditation, we do energy work. It's just a really beautiful place to begin. Um, And then if you have like, there's a couple other things that you can do. I'll do like mini card readings on my Instagram stories. Sometimes people can just ask a question to get, dip their toe in. I offer a free community healing every month. So if you're like, I'm curious about this whole Reiki thing, but I'm not sure if I want to commit, that's a really great way to experience it. Um, And then I do in person here in Denver offer group healing experiences and group healing circles because I do think back to what we were talking about is like this work happens in community, in relationship. And there's only so work we can much work we can do on ourselves and do with ourselves of self-discovery until we have that, you know, mirror of other people and realizing like it's safe to be held in community. It's safe to be in a place. And this is how I can then live that out. So that's what I do right now. 
what a great life you lead. I mean, I'm just so impressed. You're doing so much for other people. You're investing in yourself. Um, really, you can't ask for much more because that's, in my opinion, like you can't pour from an empty cup, but also we're all here to serve others. So I think you're really living that life that's service focused and I just really respect you for it. Can I tell you, Kayla, I feel so, so, so grateful and privileged and honored to do the work that I do and to get to do something I really, really, really love for my life. Like I don't, you know, I feel like it's such a gift that I have and I know that I've worked very hard for it. And I know that it is something that brings me so much joy. And also, um, I'm just like, it, it thinks some, it, some days I wake up and I'm like, wow, this is my life. This is what I get to do for like a living. Like that's the coolest thing. And I feel so honored to help guide people to help being able to figure out like, what do they want? And that might look like a relationship. Like I really want to be able to get in a partnership and I feel stuck. It might be like, I want to switch my job. I work with a lot of people through transformations in their life or transitions or any type of evolution, whether it's something you're wanting to cultivate, something that you're going through or something that you're just experiencing. Um, whether it's quitting a job, starting a business, it's like, how can you become your own lifeboat? How can you ha find your own life preserver, realizing you have all these tools, you have all these skills within yourself to realize like, I can navigate this life in a way that feels really authentic to me and make decisions based on what I want to do. Which I think there's so, and I don't know if you feel this way, but like so many of the decisions I made for so long was like, well, my parents think I'm good. Will society think I'm successful? Will this be like, am I a good person or right person versus like, what do I, what do I want to do? And I'll tell you, and I'll say this, it is scary. Making that leap of faith, making that change is not easy. It's not simple, but it is the most rewarding thing I think we can do is to take that leap of faith and be like, but what if? I respect the heck out of all entrepreneurs and anyone that takes a chance on themselves because it is the scariest thing I would imagine that you ever have to do mm -hmm. in your business, in like the business world. Um, but I've never met an entrepreneur that regretted it. And mm -hmm. I've never met an entrepreneur that was like, mm, I'm going back. <laughs> like I'm going back. So, I mean, if, if ever, if, you know, people have been doing it for years and years and, there's still many, many, many thriving small and large businesses, then, you know, I'm sure it's going to continue on for many years in the future. So if if anyone's listening, hopefully they're inspired by you and, and take mm -hmm. a chance on themselves too. Um, I hope so. And even if that's like, I really want to sign up for like a, I don't know, personally, I want to get into pottery. Like even it's like, I want to sign up for a pottery class because something I dream of, or I want to like create an Instagram account for my poetry, or I've always dreamed of moving to like, I don't know, Florida. I don't know if anyone would actually want to live in Florida. I'm sorry if you're from Florida and heard that. I have friends who are from Miami who like have a whole experience. But, you know, like realizing like my dreams are possible and I can take a big dream. And I will say this, like, and you can message me on Instagram if you feel like it's different, but I don't think there's anyone who has ever regretted taking a risk or a chance on themselves for their dreams I think it's something that we are actually called to do. And it, yes, it's scary because it's so deeply vulnerable, but it is the most rewarding thing. I will say that. Well, I hope you inspired so many people today. And actually, I know you inspired so many people today, um, myself included. And I wrap every single interview with the mm -hmm. same question. Ashley, I'm extremely excited to hear your answer. What does living a life well-lived mean to you? Living a life well-lived to me means – 
being as the most myself I can be in every single moment. I, when I quit my job, my corporate job in New York, I sat down at a little cafe in the Lower East Side of Manhattan and made a list of imagined if I was 80, I don't know, 90 years old on my deathbed, looking back on my life, what will have success meant to me? How will I define success for myself? And I made that list and it literally was like being free and being myself. And to me, that is a life well lived. Is like I got to just experience everything that I wanted to do. Yeah. No regrets. No regrets. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Ashley, thank you so much for being here. Um, where can people connect with you on social mm -hmm. media too? Um, I think we forgot to make that plug, but I want to make sure yes. that they can connect with you. And of course, these will be in the show notes for, for anyone who's mm -hmm. listening and is driving or something. Just um, yes. It's always good to kind of re restate that. So I'm on Instagram. My Instagram handle is ashley.b.jones, so like Junie B. Jones, but Ashley B. Jones. Um, my email is ashley at ashleybjones.com. My website is ashleybjones.com. So if you search Ashley B. Jones, you probably can find me. Um, and I would love to connect with you, hear anything that you're thinking about today's conversation. And Kayla, seriously, it's been such an honor to get to connect with you. You have such inquisitive questions. And I just, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I feel grateful for the way that it's gone. Me too. And you're always welcome back. So yeah. we'll stay in touch. And yes. just thanks again for your time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Kayla underscore underscore Brandon. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.